Hi, and welcome to Pillsbury's Industry Insights Podcast, where we discuss current legal and practical issues in finance and related sectors. I'm Joel Simon, a partner at the international law firm Pillsbury Winthrop Shaw Pittman. We hope from wherever you're listening, you are safe and healthy. Today, I'll be speaking with Caroline Harcourt, a partner in Pillsbury's real estate practice. Caroline represents owners, lenders, investors, developers, and tenants in all aspects of commercial real estate. Hi, Joel. It's great to be here, and thank you for inviting me to join you. Caroline, just thinking about what's happening in real estate these days makes my head spin. What can you tell us about the impact COVID-19 has had on real estate activity? Well, as soon as the reality of stay-at-home orders started to sink in, transactional bill volume dropped precipitously. Whether it was loan originations, purchases, sales or leasing, deals died, basically, or they were put on hold. I mean, as we all know, hotels and retails have been especially hard hit, devastated, really, with thousands of hotels shuttered or operating at historically low levels, some, you know, three, five percent. Malls, retail centers, movies and entertainment centers are shuttered. And retail and restaurant bankruptcies are underway, starting in early 2020 with what we can only expect is going to be a tidal wave of insolvencies. Core office product has been the least hit so far, although we've seen a rising number of claims by tenants that they shouldn't have to pay rent because they're unable to access their space. And who knows what office use is going to look like when the crisis is over. Clearly, users of office space realize that uh, teleworking and Zoom mean that they will need less office space and are also determining that some of the furloughed employees don't really need to return. All of this is going to put a lot of pressure on office sector in the long term. Many lenders, too, that are in the nature of funds have been faced with margin calls. Uh, as this drags on and as rental and debt service payments become harder and harder to make, we're going to continue to see a huge number of requests for relief, whether it's tenants, Joel, or borrowers asking their lenders to forbear on collecting debt service payments. Um, on the flip side, is it's a good time to have a lot of cash on the hand. We're seeing various MES funds in the process of being formed to, quote, swoop in. They're swooping in with debt or preferred equity to buy defaulted mortgage loans, obviously at distressed prices. So the bottom line, for those of us who practice real estate in the early 90s and through the 08-09 crisis, this crisis is, of course, eerily different, given the human cost and tragedy, and with possibly more than 33 million Americans having lost jobs, maybe more like the Great Depression, but only time will tell. It is very familiar in terms of cycles and in terms of the real estate legal work that we're seeing um, since we're seeing forbearances, loan and lease amendments, and soon, as I mentioned, a wave of insolvencies. Well, that's quite a picture you've painted for us, Caroline. Um, hopefully things uh, can, can turn uh, at some point uh, for brighter days. But let's get a little more granular now. What are some of the issues you're helping clients with um, right now? Sure. Uh, as mentioned, borrowers are asking lenders for temporary forbearance until normal operations can resume. This can be tricky for several reasons. If the loan is securitized, for example, a request for forbearance can cause the loan to be transferred to special servicing. So we're helping borrowers draft request letters that wouldn't cause a transfer to special servicing. 
another issue that we are contending with is that a poorly worded request for forbearance can trigger a personal recourse under a bad boy guarantee if it's interpreted as an admission of the inability to pay debt as they become due. Um, that said, in the real estate world, you know, many requests for forbearance start with negotiating and signing a short pre-negotiation agreement. This allows the parties to freely engage in discussions, not be bound until a, a final formal agreement is signed. And um, we're just seeing a lot of and expect to continue to see a lot of temporary forbearance. I think we can also expect that these are going to evolve over time into workouts, more complicated workouts particularly as things don't uh, come back as quickly as had originally been hoped. Um, if things turn into workouts, lenders are going to start to ask for more collateral or guarantees maybe they're going to start they're going to start in the second round to make requests like putting in place hard cash management or increasing reserves. Um, they're certainly going to ask for enhanced financial reporting in many cases. Our advice, both to real estate lenders and borrowers alike, is to start the process now and not to wait. For borrowers, this is especially true. Since waiting until resources have been depleted, it's going to give a borrower very little leverage in the negotiation and less flexibility in the long run. Acting now and not waiting is definitely a mantra we've been hearing a lot lately. Caroline. It's another way of saying be proactive rather than reactive, which is an important transition for companies and, and lenders to make in times of crisis. Joe, I could not agree more. We've seen this time and time again. One thing I wanted to mention is we're also representing lenders in structured debt stacks or securitized loan situations, including many mez mezzanine lenders who come behind securitized loans in order of payment or security. And we've been reviewing a lot of intercreditor, co-lender participation agreements just to confirm who in the debt stack as between senior subordinate lenders or loan participants or servicers can actually make the decisions to forbear or extend. Um, also, who whose consent is required in connection with entering into a loan amendment. That's a good point, Caroline. And I remember um, those were crippling issues in the mortgage-backed securities crisis because all the parties to a transaction seemed to be frozen uh, because when they looked at the deal documents, they were often inconsistent on those points and everyone thought someone else was in the driver's seat on those issues and decisions. Yes, exactly right. It would be great if we could avoid that this time around, and certainly improvements have been made to the sort of structured uh, pooling and servicing agreements in that regard and the intercreditors. But as far as other issues we're seeing, I guess I would mention for mezzanine lenders, we're reviewing loan agreements carefully with respect to cure rights, um, also foreclosure provisions and purchase option provisions. Of course, if the mezzanine lender is underwater, Many, many mezzanine lenders will just, you know, choose to walk away essentially from the deal. We're also dealing in the day-to-day -day with many questions regarding the CARES Act, SBA and EVP loans, and now, of course, the Main Street Lending Program. We're also advising regarding state and local stay-at-home orders, which we've been cataloging across the country. 
<laughs> We've been very busy indeed. Thanks for that view from the trenches, Caroline. Um, could you give us a quick rundown on what's happening in the world of leasing? It's somewhat of a similar story. Not surprisingly, and I think as I might have mentioned, tenants are seeking rent deferments, reductions, or they're looking to get out of leases altogether. You know, the flip side is that landlords have debt service payments. They have to meet or they have returns to investors that they have promised. And often in order to agree to the tenant's request for deferral or amendment, they have to obtain their lenders or maybe even their investors' consent to lease modifications. We're seeing tenants making all kinds of claims right now, Joel. They're looking at their leases and wondering about or writing about force majeure clauses, of course. Those are the first that pop into people's minds. But they're also seeing uh, condemnation or casualty. Do those bear on the analysis? Can I get out of my lease or rental obligations because of those clauses? Or constructive eviction or frustration of purpose or impossibility of performance? These are sometimes difficult arguments, I would say, generally for a tenant to make. But that won't stop them from trying, giving, given the amount of money at stake. Interestingly, the legal history nerds among us have all been rereading cases from World War II and also from Hurricane Sandy as precedent. As was the case then, the courts are going to have to weigh in. One note for landlords and tenants alike, though, there may be coverage under business interruption insurance, and it's really worth looking at those policies right now. I have one last question for you, Caroline. Um, if Looking into your crystal ball, uh, what legal issues do you expect will come up in the next few months? Unfortunately, or not, depending on your perspective, I guess, it looks to be a big opportunity for those on the sidelines with cash and a willingness to jump in. But of course, what I think we're going to see is workouts, mortgage foreclosures, UCC foreclosures, court appointments of receivers. It's actually already all begun. We're going to see deeds or assignments in lieu, Joel, and borrowers handing the keys over to their lenders, starting with hotels. We're going to see tenants walking away from their lease obligations, leaving their security deposits behind. And as a practical matter, we're going to see businesses unable to reopen and bankruptcies, I think, in every area with litigation around bad boy guarantee. Basically, there's going to be a tremendous amount of pain to go around in the commercial real estate world in every sector. I wish we had more time to delve into some of those issues, Caroline. You've given us a lot of food for thought today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Joel. I really enjoyed participating in this podcast. And now for This Week in History, we draw inspiration from a speech made at Rice University in Texas on May 25th, 1961, proclaiming to the world how we would achieve something that at the time seemed impossible. Perhaps these words can light a path to a brighter future. On that day, 59 years ago, President John F. Kennedy said with total confidence, we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard, because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills, because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept, one that we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win. To all of you tuning in, thank you for listening to Pillsbury's Industry Insights Podcast. 